The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. more coffee in the coffee. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Amen. All right. Brother Emmanuel, I got I to gotta see you after church. I want to see if you have any more of those. <laughs> that was nice. I like that. Oh, well. Shall we pray? Father, bless your word. Please speak to our hearts. Speak to us by your spirit. Strengthen us to live out the things. Apprehend us for the very things that help us to apprehend the things that you have apprehended us for. To make a difference. To bring glory to our Lord Jesus. Oh God, as we wait upon you, illumine the pages and enlighten our understanding. We are asking this. In your precious name. Amen. We have been uh, considering the subject of pleasing God. Pleasing uh, God. Is it possible, the question is asked, uh, to please a holy God, a, a perfect God? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it within the human capacity to live in such a way that God is glorified? I want to remind you that the scripture says, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. He had that testimony. Enoch was made from the same stock that you and I are made from. We have the testimony, for example, of our of our brother Paul. And when he compared himself to the other apostles, he even termed himself as uh, the chief of sinners. But Paul could testify that he labored more earnestly than all the rest. He gave it everything he had right up to the end and we have a panoply of witnesses and we'll look at some in hebrews time permitting who did valiantly in the name of god to establish a testimony in their world and that mandate is on you and me Every one of us are faced with the challenge to live our lives in such a way that God is pleased. And if you say to me this morning, 
I'm not sure how to please God. I encourage you to become a student of the scriptures. To be in the book and in the presence of God until you are convinced that this is the purpose of your living to please God and to understand what the will of God is. And we won't go there, but if you want to get a synopsis, you go to Ephesians chapter five, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, emphasize this, that we might walk worthily of the Lord, pleasing, okay? Pleasing, that's the word he used, pleasing. That tells me that I can have an understanding from the word of God, what pleases God. He encouraged the believers to walk circumspectly. He said, well, what does that mean? Draw a circle, step in the center. Imagine you stepping outside and examining your life from every avenue, every aspect. Until you are convinced in your heart and from the testimony of scriptures that I am living to please God. And so now we come to Matthew chapter 17 and the sister portion in Mark 9. When our Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James and John was with him and they saw him transfigured and his raiment became white. He, his whole being, white, translucent. They were amazed and afraid, and they have that mountaintop experience. And many of us want the mountaintop experience. <laughs> because we don't want to show up at work on Monday morning <laughs> and have to live it out among pagans. I may put it that way. That's where the challenge is. And so now we have in uh, Matthew 17... Verse 14, they came, when they came down from the mountain, the scripture says that when they came to the crowd, a man came to him falling on his knees before him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and suffers sorely. That term, lunatic, the Greek word is epileptic. So his son had epilepsy. And he says, he suffers sorely, for often he falls into the fire and into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they were not able to heal him. Now, before we look at the Lord Jesus' response, which is indicative of the fact that the Son of God was displeased. So that's our first clue right there. <laughs> he was displeased, but we're not going to get there yet. In Mark's Gospel... Verse 14, he says, similarly, chapter 9, verse 14, and when he, came, his disciples, when he came to the disciples, he saw a great crowd and around them, and uh, the scribes disputing with them, and immediately all the crowd seeing him were amazed and running to him, saluted him, and he asked them, what do you question with them about? And one out of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought to thee my son who has a dumb spirit. So Mark now adds a slightly different flavor to the circumstance. And that word dumb means mute. 
So what we have is a child, a, a, a human being, both epileptic and mute, can't speak. And wherever it seizes him, it tears him, he foams and gnashes his teeth, he's withering away. And I spoke to thy disciples and that they might cast him out, and they could not. Two, uh, two accounts of the same circumstance. In one, we're not told about the Pharisees and those who are antagonistic to the faith, but we are told about this man who had a need, a need so great that his followers were powerless to respond to that need. And I want to say this, we're going to get the answer to the problem at the very end. But what we are looking at is the Son of God interacting with people, his enemies, the detractors of the faith, people in need, a man having a son that he loves and cares for, the impossible circumstances, uh, uh, a human being gripped by something we don't understand. And I want to bring this to your attention. It's interesting that in, in the translations in the Greek, it's talking about epilepsy. We know people or may have heard of epilepsy in our time. But it's interesting that the Spirit of God is identifying this as we will see that some human being was in the grip of the forces of darkness to the extent that it manifested itself in a way that we would have treated with medicine. Now, am I saying that we're going to go out into the public arena and lay hands on everyone who has epilepsy? No, but I am bringing something to your attention. That one of the things that we might be ignorant of and may be unawares that sometimes because our walk with God is somewhat paltry, we are unable to discern whether or not what is before us is an issue in the power of the powers of darkness or is it an issue that a person just needs, etc. Which is it? And I'm here to say to you that sometimes God's people are ignorant. We lack discernment. We can't see what we need to see. And so now this man in his extremity comes to the Lord Jesus. The disciples are there. The rest of them are left. The three were up on the mountaintop. They are coming down and seeing these things. Here the Pharisees constantly at him. Constantly looking for a reason. Looking to trip him up in his language. Here's a man in need. And his followers are powerless. And then there's this child. That we have no idea what the problem is. And sometimes when you look at the response of our Lord Jesus Christ. His remarks seem discordant to the situation. It's like, why are you talking about unbelief? <laughs> you know, why bring this up when we are facing this? And I want to pause and say this to every one of you. There is a lot happening in our nation at a rapid pace. And I've heard many say, well, we need better leaders. We, and, and God bless those who are stepping up to do something. 
and we see the evils in our nation beginning to overflow. We see special interest groups of all sorts and moral positions that appear to be contrary to the word of God. And beloved, every one of us have some kind of solution, but there's only one solution. And our Lord Jesus is going to put his finger on the issue. Because remember, beloved, when Elijah came on the scene, things were bad. Things were bad. And what did Elijah say? There shall be no rain except by my word. For the next three years plus, not a drop of water. You see, beloved, Elijah came on the scene and Elijah knew from Deuteronomy that, that Moses said in the power of the Spirit that when his people go astray, God will shut the heavens and there will be no rain. And any prophet worth his weight in gold would be able to go back to the writings of Moses and see that when God's people go astray, the prophet can come before God and say, you said you'll shut the heavens. Then shut the heavens until your people turn back to God. And so uh, Elijah can go into Ahab and said, there will be no rain except by my word. Now you say to yourself, who is Elijah to speak as though he controls the rain? I'll tell you who Elijah is. Elijah was man's, uh, God's man, filled with the spirit, representing the interest of heaven. And so he can speak with authority. There's not going to be any rain. And so now we come to a circumstance where our Lord Jesus said what? Verse 19, he answering them. He didn't answer the man only. He answered them. Why them? Because, beloved, what he is about to say touches every one of them. His people, his men, powerless to do the work. Before this, he sent them out two by two, and they were able to do this. The Pharisees, the naysayers. Where's your God? Are you the Messiah? He's speaking to them. And I know it seems insensitive, and we'll see in Mark's gospel, but he was speaking to this man as well because what was his problem, was his followers' problem, was the same problem for the Pharisees. And I subscribe to you, beloved. That's our problem. You see, we all want America to turn. <laughs> but you know what the Lord Jesus is looking at here? Lack of influence. His people were powerless to influence their times. And he says, oh, unbelieving generation. That's what he says in Mark 9. And in Matthew 17, <laughs> oh, I tell you. He says, oh, unbelieving and perverted generation. Perverted. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? 
How long? You say, my dear brother, but what are we expected to do? Our Lord Jesus expressed displeasure. You know, when my, when my dad was displeased, I tried to not let it be with me. <laughs> Never turned out well. <laughs> I've told you the stories. 11 years old, my last, mm. <laughs> Why? Because when he's displeased, it's not good. It's not good. His sentiments won't be good. His thoughts about you won't be good. His actions in response to his thoughts and words were not good. Now, Lord Jesus, the Son of God, expresses displeasure at one thing. What does he call them? Unbelieving and perverted. So I ask you, it makes sense. This is the last message we will have on this topic. If I'm going to make a change to please God, I start with my faith. My faith. My faith in God. Let's go on to see what he says. Verse 18. Matthew 17. Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him and the demon went out from him and the boy was healed. Now remember, he says, my son is a lunatic. In, in uh, Mark 9, my son has a dumb spirit. Jesus says, demon Come out. Two different assessments of the same information, the same circumstance. The Lord Jesus put his finger on the nature of the problem he was going to fix. The man's assessment was wrong. He was incorrect. Why do I bring this out? Because, beloved, there is the risk that when we look around us in our society, because our walk with God is wanting, wanting, we might incorrectly assess what the problem is. And hence, because of the assessment being incorrect at the outset, the solution that we apply to it will not work. It won't work. beloved read the papers if people read newspapers nowadays <laughs> go on the internet read what is happening in the world and step back and ask yourself this question what is the solution what has God done in the past to fix things <laughs> what has he done he raised up men <laughs> to be a voice for God in their culture to live in such a way that their, their, their life, their words became a light to a dark world. They weren't going about trying to change the culture, but they were people who were mighty with God. They walked with God. 
relationship with the living God. And so when they spoke, they spoke with impact. They lived with impact. And so this man could say, my son is a lunatic. And Jesus healed this child out of the grip of the forces of darkness. This is what is embarrassing. Look at what happened. Later on. Verse 19. Then the disciples coming to him apart. You know, this is, this is both amusing and embarrassing at the same time. Because now they had to wait until they had a private moment to ask the obvious question. Why couldn't we cast him out? Why were we ineffective? You know, I, there was a company I worked for. I won't say where and, and give any details for the privacy of others. But when I got hired, one of the things I prayed for, prayed about earnestly, I said, Lord, every day fill me. Fill me with your spirit so that when people see me doing what I'm paid to do they might see something different and every day that was my desire I said Lord you know we could go in there and on the first day ask are you saved <laughs> you know we, we, we could do that and then the other days we're careless in our, in our living I've seen it I've done it guilty this time I said Lord Help me to be sensitive to your spirit, mindful of my words. And uh, I think I may have shared this story with you, but months afterwards, young lady approached me. I say young lady because anyone, you know, 20 years, 15 years or younger than me, they're all young. <laughs> it's amazing how perspective is everything, but I digress. <laughs> so I'm guessing she's probably in her 40s-ish. And... Uh, young lady approached me we were having a bit of a company picnic and, and she said you know I'd like to ask you a personal question I was like sure and she says are you always this happy <laughs> and at first I thought she was kidding <laughs> so what do I do I start to laugh then I realized oh no this is a serious conversation so I had to kind of you know pull it back and I said I think so yeah and I said well why are you asking me that question and she went on to say that I've watched you. I've watched you. I've been watching you. And I'm thinking, oh dear. You know, my first thought, did I do something? Have I said anything? Did I act out of character? And she didn't sit too far from where I sat. And she said, I could hear when your projects and things are problems on the, on the, the projects you're working on. And she said, I could see that it's unsettling you, but you kept your poise and then when everything was done you walk around the office like nothing ever happened and happy as a lark and, and we started to laugh and I began to share my testimony with her why do I tell you that story because right at that moment I realized that God answered my prayer he gave me an opportunity to have influence I didn't have to say a word but I had to live right now am I any different than you no beloved I am just like you. 
but we have to want to influence people for the glory of God, the kingdom of God, and their good. You see, this man brought his son because he wanted his good. And our Lord Jesus wanted good for this child and for this man. And we're going to see that our Lord Jesus puts his finger on the issue. But in wanting good for people, we have got to be, as it were, having intercourse with, having time alone with. That time alone with God must be, perhaps for us, the most sacred event in our lives. Because like Moses... As he spent time with God, as he got the oracles of God, as he listened to God work and speak, as he can look at the panoply of his life and how God is using him, he was unaware that the glory of God was on his own face. He took out of the presence of God a small something of the living God himself and many of us because our lives are paltry. We go into the presence of God and come out of the presence of God the same way we were when we went into the presence of God. And it ought not to be so. And so now, they came to Jesus apart. Verse 19, why were we not able to cast him out? But before we go there, I want you to go back to Mark 9. And in verse 21, he, the father, uh, he asked his father, that is the Lord Jesus asked his father, how long a time is it that it has been like this with him? And he said from childhood, and often it has cast him both into the fire and into the waters that it might destroy him. But if thou couldst do anything, be moved with pity on us and help us. Now, I want to pause and say this, and my intention is not to be insensitive. Okay? This is not intended to be insensitive, so I want you to bear with me. Many people, Christians included, we go to God in a similar way. If I may put it in the vernacular, we hope that God might do something on our behalf. We hope. We hope. There is no expectation based on the word of God that he will. We are hoping he might have some pity on us. And I want you to contrast this with the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed. What is important about that circumstance? Well, Paul tells us later in his writing to the church at Ephesus that we Gentiles were without God and Christ in the world. The term that is used is atheists. That's what he's saying to the church at Ephesus. The Gentiles had no part of the commonwealth of Israel. The promises, the hope, the kingdom, the Messiah, all of that, all of that, we, you, me, non-Jews, had no part of it. So when this woman comes to the Lord Jesus, and she said, Son of David, have mercy upon me, three things happened. The Lord Jesus first didn't respond because she had no legal right to make any claim on the Messiah. Why? She's a Gentile. Later on, as she's persisting, what, does, what, what did Jesus say? 
Okay? I wasn't sent to you. And she said, yes, Lord. And she persisted. And then he added insult to injury. I love this. He said, I am not here to give the children's bread to dogs. He called her what they were known to be, Gentile dogs. And what did she say? Yes, Lord. She says, in our vernacular, I agree. I'm a dog. But guess what? Those very dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table that the children would have. And he turned to her and he said, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. Now, her daughter was not with her. He performed a distant healing. He commended a Gentile for her faith because she was already convinced in her heart that there is no one else that can help her. She wasn't hoping he would help her. She knew if he doesn't help me, I'm done. I don't have any other source. The centurion was the same way. That centurion did what? He sent the Jewish leaders. Why? Because he knew he had no legal right to make any claim on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sent them. What did they say? He loves our nation. <laughs> he built us our synagogue. He's a good man. He needed someone to intercede for him. But in this man's heart was such a faith. What kind of faith? Well, the Spirit of God tells us. He had already observed the, the life of the Lord Jesus. And he said to himself, that man is a man of authority. Because I said to my man, go. And he goes, come. And he comes. And he could just say to diseases, go. And it goes, or whatever. And they're healed. He was already convinced in his heart that if Jesus even turned in his direction, it's done. And what happened? Scripture said when he saw them afar off, he now sent his friends. Because the only people could intercede for him were the Jewish leaders. And what did he say? Don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. Just say the word. I love that. I love that. Just say the word. And you know what distinguishes that woman, the centurion, and this man? This man hoped that he might be able to do something. But the centurion was convinced before he sent them that he is able to do something. And that's why I'm sending them. That's the difference, beloved. When I believe God, I approach the situation in a completely different spirit, in a completely different mindset. I come now with the expectation, God is going to answer me. I remember I said to my wife one day, when I told you the story, I was unemployed for a year. And I told her how God answered. I didn't tell her all the details before because I wanted to see for myself. I was convinced God is going to answer. In fact, the same company that I interviewed with where I eventually got the job, the first two, the first two uh, uh, interviews were a bust. A bust. They did not go well, but I was convinced. God had already given assurance in his word. He is going to give me what I asked for. It's done. So I went into the third interview with the company, and I knew it's either this or the next interview, but God says, yes, I say good. And my dear friends, I'm here to tell you, when I left that interview, I sat in my car 
And I said, Lord, I know you gave this to me, so I'm not even going to worry about that. But I said, here's what I want you to do. When they send that letter of, we want you, I said, make the date of my start, one year to the day, from the day that I got left go from another company a year before. That's it. I want to know it's you. Why? Because I want to tell people exactly what you can do. And the day came. We went through all the motions. They said that we want to hire you, yada, yada, yada. And they said, we'll send you a letter to confirm all the details. Well, I'm driving home one day. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> I drove up and I saw the UPS package right by the door, <laughs> leaning up. And I knew this is the day. This is the, today is the day. And beloved, God is my witness. I couldn't wait to open that package because I knew what I was going to see. I tore open that package. I looked at the start date, pulled out my phone, counted back a year to the day. Right there, my neighbor's house is right across the street. I got on my knees right at my front door. <laughs> I was like, Elijah, calling down fire. <laughs> I didn't care that people are seeing me kneel in the front of my house saying glory to God. Nobody would ever believe this. And then I told my wife. And she just looked at me incredulously like, you've got to be kidding. So I took it out. I said, do the math. <laughs> do the math. Why do I tell you these stories? Because Jesus rebuked this man. And look what it says. I love Mark's rendition. In fact, let's go back to it. Look what he says. Verse 22, Mark 9. And he says, And often he is thrown in both into the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I want to read Darby translation. Slight different nuance. But the nuance is important. Look at what he says. What are we looking at? Verse 23. And Jesus said to him, Thee, if thou couldst. Okay, what he's saying is, the, if you can do anything for me, statement that you just made. He says, Thee, if thou could, is, if thou couldst believe. Let me translate it for you. It is as though you came to me, and you say, Christian, if you could do anything for me. I said, no, no, no. It's not if I could do anything for you. What do you believe I can do for you? And that is what the Lord Jesus did. He says, I know I can do it. But do you believe I can do it? You see, beloved, that is the difference between hoping God will act on your behalf and knowing on the basis of God's word that he will act on your behalf. What comes out of your mouth will either betray or affirm exactly what you believe. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Do you pray in the hope that God might do, might do something? Or do you come into the presence of God as our Lord Jesus says in Mark 11? Therefore, when you pray, therefore, when you, and look it for yourself, Mark 11, you don't have to turn to it, but he says, when he cursed the fig tree, and Peter said, look, <laughs> the fig tree is withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, it shall be done unto you, etc., etc. He said, therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive the thing you ask. 
for and it shall be to you. Now, beloved, that's a whole different kind of prayer. You see, what the Spirit of God is telling us is if you are going to come into the presence of God, what are you coming with? What is your petition? What are you asking me? And if you say, I believe, I'm asking you for this. If the conversation can be told, you would be asked, do you believe I've given it to you? Now, at that point, you don't have it in your hand. But you and I become like Moses in Genesis 15, I think, after he rescued Lot and Jehovah came to him and he told them that he's, you know, he's going to bless him. He's going to have a seed. He's going to be, you know, all the blessings that come with the Abrahamic covenant. And Abraham says to him, I don't have a child. And what did Jehovah do? Took him outside, looked at the heavens and said, so shall your seed be. You know what the scripture says? Abraham believed God. He didn't say Abraham decided to believe God. It said Abraham believed God. He says, I believe you. And the scripture says, and it was counted to him for righteousness. You see, and we'll find the commentary in Romans chapter 4. A lot of scriptures we're going to. Time does not permit. I need to get to the end. But the scriptures tell us in Romans 4. Concerning Abraham. That Abraham believed two things about God. That he commands things to be that are not. And that he raises the dead. Why is that important? You see Abraham believed God because he knew. And the scripture says in Romans 4. He looked at his body now dead. The man knew, I can't have children. I, <laughs> I can't have children. He looked at Sarah. She can't have children. But God commands things into being that don't exist. And God raises the dead. You know what God is going to have to do for me? He's going to have to bring my body back from the dead. He's going to have to command it for it to happen. And that was all he needed to know. And what the Spirit of God is saying to us is that Abraham was counted righteous because he acknowledged that what God said he was going to do, he's going to do just that. And I believe him. And that confidence that I don't need to see it before it happens to know confidently it's going to happen. Beloved, I've been there so often that I sometimes wait for the problem to come because I know things have been well for the last six months. There's a problem around the corner that's going to test my faith. And I need to be ready. I need to be ready. And so he says to this man, it's not if I could do or if I can have pity. What do you believe? And look at what the man says. This is so sweet. Immediately, verse 24, the father of the child cried out with tears. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Beloved, this is the moment. At this very moment, the man was being real with God. Let me tell you something. I don't want to kid you. There are times I've gone before the presence of God. And I said, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I know it's true. I know you know what you're doing. I know you are going to answer. But sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not there. Help me to be there and to stay there until you answer. And I remember one day I was meditating in, in uh, Second Chronicles King Asa preached on it when I was here last. 
And the man, man of God said to King Asa, the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of him whose heart is perfect towards him. And that blessed me. You want to know why? Because it says, Christian, you only have one, one responsibility before God. That is to set your heart looking to him. No matter what you feel, no matter what anybody says, no matter how the circumstance looks, look to God. Why? Because God is waiting for the opportunity to show he can be strong on my behalf. And you know what? I said, Lord, I want it to be me. You want to know why? Because I got a platform. I can tell people. <laughs> my kids, I'll be dead and gone. <laughs> Long time. 30 years from now, maybe 40 years from now. <laughs> And they're going to go on the internet and they're going to hear their father say these things and wonder, is it true? Well, son, I'm not here and you're not here. But would to God you use your circumstances to prove that God is a living God. Beloved, that is the thing that sweetens my soul, that I, a human being, you as well, indwelt by the Spirit of God, can prove that God is, in fact, a living God. And he says to this man, oh, oh, this man says to him, Lord, I believe, but I struggle with unbelief. And beloved, that's the starting point right there. God already knows the truth. Why do you, why you got to hide it from him? <laughs> it's like Adam. Adam, where are you? We're hiding. <laughs> Did you eat up the fruit? <laughs> he already knew. We need only tell him, Lord, I'm struggling. Strengthen me in your word strengthen me help me to stay steadfast but it gets better so he said help my unbelief jesus released the man the boy let's go back to matthew we end in these few thoughts oh boy oh boy boy time is always against us i love this so <laughs> verse 19 of matthew 17 they came to Jesus privately. So we had the man. The man acknowledged that he struggles with unbelief. Now we have the disciples. Why could we not cast him out? We were powerless is what they're saying. So Jesus said to them, because, here we go again, same problem, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. Okay? Don't waste your time asking for more faith. Don't waste your time. I look at faith like yeast. I love to cook. Bread, I struggle with. <laughs> I could try ten times with bread. I might get it one. The other nine, I end up throwing away the flour and everything else. A waste of time. But you know what was my most important discovery with bread and making bread? Uh, this one day, I just tried, it was a Saturday morning, I figured nobody's at home, let me try. Three times I had to go out to the supermarket and buy a whole new five-pound bag of flour because I was just messing it up. And then I read the directions and they said, warm water, put a little bit of yeast and let it sit. So I put it and I watched because <laughs> I want to see what's going to happen. Three minutes into it, I see a little bubble, a little something. And then it starts to, you know, it's something, like something's happening. So I got on the internet, I read, I was like, oh, the yeast have come alive and they're eating the, eating the, I mean, the, the bacteria has come alive, it's eating the yeast and they have, you know, it's a, it's a process that's starting. And they said, when you see that process, throw in the flour, <laughs> throw it all in. But I'm thinking, but it's just a little bit, what's going to happen? Well, I, I followed the directions. 
And lo and behold, I did all the kneading and all the, you know, the, all the rolling and the pin. I did everything. And I covered it one spot and I waited. Every half hour I came back and I looked. And then when I came back at one point, that little loaf was now a big loaf. And it just kept on rising. And I was like, look at that. Well, beloved, faith is like that. You don't need a lot, but it needs to be in and it needs to be active. That's it. Not a lot. He says, just a grain of a mustard seed. I saw a mustard seed. It's tiny. He's like, God knows what he's talking about. Look, I don't need you to have a lot of faith, but I do need it to be in and I need it to be active. And if it is in and it is active, trust me, you will say to this mountain, be plucked up. You're going to see the results. I tested it for myself. I'm telling you, it's true. You don't need a lot, but it needs to be active quickly. So he says to them, oh, bless my soul. Nothing shall be impossible to you. And here we are at the end. Verse 21. However, this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. Dear saints, turn to Isaiah 58. We will end here. I want to say this to you. I want to keep it real. You may not like what I'm about to say, but that's okay. Because it is true. You will say to me, my brother Christian, let's not talk about fasting because I get gas. <laughs> I like to be practical. I do too. <laughs> but what we are dealing with are spiritual issues. Not health issues. Spiritual issues. People who are antagonistic to the faith. People who are in need. People who are bound by the forces of darkness in ways we will never understand. It is not my business to understand the how and the why of it. That is not our business. Our business, our business, our moral bank, our mandate before God is to use the resources that he's given to us and exercise ourselves in such a way that God can use us in the culture. We are powerless to do anything about the evils we see around us. And Jesus said, what you just saw doesn't go out the way you think it goes. You must be in my presence and be willing to make a sacrifice, if necessary, that your voice may be heard on high. Isaiah, turn to it quickly and we end. 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up the voice like a trumpet and declare unto my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob. He's talking to Israel, of course. Yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as a nation that does righteousness. Here's what he's saying. If you look at them at the outset and at the outside, well, they're doing all the things to show that they really are taking pleasure in God. Hey, that's a good thing. Uh, not really. Here's why. They seek me daily, verse 2, delight to know my ways as a nation that does righteousness. So they're living like they really are doing the right thing. And have not forsaken the ordinance of their God. So what they're saying is, well, we're walking and living faithfully. Okay, fine. Look at what the Spirit of God says. They ask of me the ordinances of righteousness. They take delight in approaching God. 
And here's what the people said. Wherefore have we fasted, and thou seest not, and afflicted our souls, and thou takest no knowledge? You know what they're saying? We don't see any results. We don't see any results. And now our nation is in the throes of darkness. Let me tell you something. If you are not paying attention, you need to pay attention. We are in a bad state. And when we go, the whole world goes down with us. Check it. Do your homework. Look at what the prophet says. Behold, in the day, verse 3, of your fast, you find what pleases you and exact your labors. You are fasting, but you're doing all the things that you enjoy doing anyway. It doesn't cost you anything. And how is it that I can say, I'm fasting to be in the presence of God and the things I enjoy, I'm still enjoying them. Cost me nothing. No price to pay gets better. Behold, you have fasted for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. When a Christian is fasting, if there is no awakening to the fact that I'm not living right, you're wasting your time. Because the same wicked living that we were engaging in, that perhaps nobody knows, we're still doing it while we're fasting. What is the purpose to set aside just one meal? I'm not even saying all day. Just skip breakfast. Skip lunch. And that time, come before God and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, please. Speak to me. Change me. Look at what he says. Oh, my word. You do not present you do not at present fast to cause your voice to be heard on high. First thing, why do I fast? I don't know how. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know how me denying myself makes my praying effectual. I don't know how. I'll tell you the truth. I don't care how. I just know that he says, you want to be heard? Part with it. Come with me alone. Come apart with me alone. Skip the meal. Take. I have called my boss and said, listen, I'm taking Friday off. They don't need to know why. You want to know why? Because I take a bottle of water or some hot tea, and I go to the park, and I don't take any food with me, and I take my Bible, and I said, I'm not leaving until you show me how I'm living that either pleases you or doesn't please you. Speak by your word. Cause your voice to be heard on high. Quickly. Oh my, my. Verse 5. Is such the fast I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. Okay? In other words, I don't want the pleasure. I want to afflict myself. Because you know what? What is most important to me right now is that you hear me. You hear me? When you know you are the head of household and you ain't working. <laughs> Trust me. You want God to hear you. And I said, I remember that year. I'm not telling you the truth because I'm not telling you I'm not better than you, but I'm giving you the facts. I skipped breakfast and lunch. Why? It was six months and not even an interview. Not an interview. Boy, you will check yourself and ask, oh God, is it me or is it you? Because somebody is doing something wrong. Listen, six months, not an interview. I said, that's it. I don't care what my brethren say. Prayer and fasting. We going all the way with this. 
in the morning, I said to my wife, all right, honey, goodbye. And she thinks I'm going to be looking for, I didn't even have the, 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 the guts to tell her. As soon as she left, I took my keys, took my water, drove to the park, and I stayed there. Stayed there and called on God. Walked the people knew me. The groundskeepers. Hey, Christian, how you doing? How you doing? They don't need to know what I'm doing. I walked that park. It's miles of grounds. And I'm calling on God. And I'm confessing sin. And I'm saying, speak to me. Show me if it's me. I can't find work. Is it me? At the end of that, God showed me. He said, your mouth, your tongue is too sharp. I said, Lord, then change it. I told you the story. I'm not going to repeat it. One whole year for God to just say, it's your tongue is the problem. I was ready because I'm unemployed almost 365 days. <laughs> Trust me, you want God to hear you. Boy, when he heard, he really heard. But I learned a lesson, but it gets better quickly. Oh, my. Oh, my, my, my. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a man for a day for a man to afflict his soul that he should bow down the head as a bulrush, etc., etc., etc.? Will thou call this a fast, a day acceptable to Jehovah? Is not this the fast which I have chosen? Here we go, people. Is not this the, the, the fast which I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? Okay, you ask me, Brother Christian. If I take time alone with God, and if need be, like Jesus said, this kind goes not up except by prayer and fasting, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You and I will be sensitive to our sinful life. Our attitudes. Our mindset. Our sentiment towards our brethren. Our sentiment towards people who are saved. Our sentiment towards evil. We are going to be made sensitive to what God finds this you say, how do I know? Why don't you just take me up on it and take up the challenge? Take up the challenge. One meal. One meal. If your work does not demand physical labor. Because I know if your work demands physical labor, you're going to pass out in the ditch. Okay? So I don't want that. But a Saturday morning, skip breakfast and lunch, and continue to wait on God until you and I are made sensitive to what displeases God. Gets better. Look at what he says. Loose the bands of wickedness. Undo the thongs of the yoke. And send forth the free. Send forth free the crushed. Oppression. Things in our spirit. Flesh gaining dominance in our lives. We can't give up law and order. <laughs> or whatever suits. Or whatever the program is on television. Because <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> really? We're afraid to speak up and speak out. We're cowardly. We're weak. We're beggarly. And here, stop. Jesus looked at his followers. And what did he say? This kind. He was very specific. You want to have influence, my dear beloved disciples, over something like this? He said, this doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. He's clear. That makes sense to me. Christian, do you want influence with people? Do you want to know that when you sit and talk with someone, for reasons you can't understand, they are open to what you're saying? How does that influence come? How do we marshal against the forces of darkness? How? 
He gave the secret. Time with God. And for those of you who are mindful (laughs) to engage the culture, my approach to engaging the culture might be different than yours. I'm not going out there with a picket sign. I'm not doing that nonsense. That's, that's just me. You don't have to subscribe to it. But you see, I am praying for our nation from the top down. From the president, his cabinet, whether they be wicked people or not, irrelevant to me. You see, when Paul wrote these letters, Nero was Caesar. And he hated Christians. When did we make inroads under Caesar Nero? And Paul could write, I think, to the church at Ephesus or one of the churches to pray for the powers that be. Pray for the judiciary. We see things that are happening now with the judiciary. We need to be on our knees, but not to change them, but to move the hand that moves everything. You hear me? Move the hand. To me, that's power. If I can have the ear of the one who sits in heaven and commands all things by the word of his power, if I have access to him, I said, Father, pour out your spirit on our nation. Men are in darkness and they're getting darker. They're groping in darkness. They need a savior. You've done it before. You did it in, in, in Elijah's day. You called, he called on fire from heaven. You did it in Josiah's day. He brought the people back. You did it in Asa's day. Do it in my day. Oh, would to God that our hearts are moved to be mighty with God among men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless you today. We bless you. We praise you. Father, we lift up our nation. We are in dark times. We're asking for your grace. Oh, God, help us to hold your hand and be mighty in your presence and to affect our nation, our world. We lift up the nations of the world. Pour out your spirit in these last days. Glorify and lift up the name of Jesus. And we pray for the saints that are here that your will and purposes may be accomplished in all of our hearts for your glory and pleasure in jesus name we pray thank you for joining beside still waters podcast with christian javois beside still waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of god's presence to receive guidance light and grace to live by faith i hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of god it has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.